Hey friends, welcome to the Her God Story podcast where you will always hear a good story to build your faith and equip you in your walk with the Lord. I'm your host, Jody Caracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America and International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. Psalm 13 in the New Living Translation reads, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we've defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. My guest today, Diane Bustamante, could have written that psalm. She has a story of rescue, restoration, and rejoicing. Diane and her husband, Ben, have lived in Italy for many years, sharing the gospel, starting churches, and helping people grow in their faith. They've gone through some trials individually and as a family that would have ruined them, but for God. Her story is real. It's challenging. And it reveals the power of God to not only restore, but to make things better than they were before. Welcome, Diane. Thank you. You live in Italy now, but you are originally from the States. Can you share a little about where you were born and how you were raised? So I was born in California, but uh, three days later, I was taken to Texas because I was adopted. So I was raised in a Christian home, just wonderful parents, Jack and Rosemary Gossett. They're both gone on to heaven now. What led you to Jesus? Uh, how did he become real to you? Well, I was in a raised in a Christian home, like I said, and in a church that the pastor was really one of uh, great faith and prayer, and I, I believe fasting as well. And uh, he made an altar call, and I went down to the altar, and I remember asking Jesus into my heart. I remember actually feeling something lift from me, and I did not know it was the weight of sin. Mm. You say, well, how much sin can you be in at six years old? But Yeah. It was amazing. I know I received Jesus when I was six and I still remember kneeling down by the couch. We had a family friend that had come over and shared Jesus with my whole family, actually. Mm. And we, you know, one by one all got saved. I was the youngest at the time and probably the last one to do it. But I remember at six thinking, I need to do this. You know, the Lord can move in the hearts of very young and call us for a life of following him. Something happened, obviously, when you were, you know, in your preteen years, as with all of us, Satan tries to get us off track. But something happened that put you on a bumpy road uh, during your teen years. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, um, let me just say that a few weeks later, I received the power of the Holy Spirit at six years old. Mm -hmm. And so when this um, at 12 years old, I found a butt of a cigarette of my uncle in a bathroom. And I thought it'd be cool to light it up. And little did I know that one act of rebellion was going to lead me to eventually two and a half packs of cigarettes a day mm. and drugs and drinking. And of course, you know, the enemy was trying to kill me because that's what he does. This one cigarette led to, to drugs? Not just immediately. Sure. But it just led to more cigarettes and then more vices and whatever my parents said not to do. I was 
determined, you know, just rebellion. And Mm -hmm. of course, that's, uh, that's witchcraft. And I don't know what was in my background being adopted. Yeah, but I I did go for a terrible ride downhill. What caused you to resurrender your life to the Lord? That's one reason I wanted to say about the Holy Spirit. No matter what I was doing, I kept hearing the Lord say, you know, I'm real. Come back to me. You know, I'm real. Come back to me. And I'd say, yeah, when I get really old and when I get through partying, I'm coming back to you. So at the ripe old age of 19, (laughs) I surrendered. (laughs) So that wasn't real old, but, you know, the Lord is persistent. So, well, you know, I had similar in my teen years. I grew up in military family. In my teen years, we moved right before high school. So we moved to a new place and, you know, my new friends in, you know, a neighborhood, you're looking for friends and my new friends weren't Christians. You know, they like to go out and drink and they like to party. And so I kind of got swept along just looking for friends. Fortunately, I did not get into the drug scene, but, you know, I rebelled during that season as well. I always knew in my heart that this was the wrong thing for me to be doing. I always Mm. felt, you know, even in the midst of when I was having fun in my head, my heart was heavy. You know, when I got to college, I kind of continued that lifestyle a little bit, but always with the knowledge that God was watching and he knew, I mean, I would even still go to church. I remember going to church one Sunday and I had gone out partying the night before, you know, I had been drunk. I was sitting in church and I heard the Lord speak to me as out of the Psalms. I'm going to put a new song, a new, yeah, a new song on your, in your lips, a song of Mm. praise, my God. And I was sitting there thinking, Lord, I just did it horrible. I mean, I just acted horribly to you last night, but his Mm. love was constantly drawing back to him. Yes, I did. You know, yeah. In my college years, resurrend to the Lord. And it was like night and day. I mean, I remember kind of after making that recommitment to the Lord, I went, you know, out with some friends. I mean, by this time I was of legal age, so I could legally go into these places, but I was sitting there and I just, um, I could see, see the darkness in that place. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't want to be there anymore. I left as soon as I could and never have gone back. It was just like wow. night and day to me, how the Lord closed the curtain on that part of my life and made me see there is nothing that right. active in sin and the devil's way. Praise you know, God. I mean, obviously I'm not sinless, but you know, it's like that scripture that talks about, you know, when we die to the flesh so that mm-hmm. we can be raised to live with Christ, we're no longer under, under the dominion of sin. Mm. And to me, it was for me, for my life, it was, it was like that one day I was dead to sin. And the next day I rose and it was like, I, nothing about that attracted me anymore. But I'm sorry, back to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that's a similar story because immediately the chains broke. I was instantly delivered of cigarettes. I was instantly delivered of drugs, of men. And so like you, it was like night and day. And that's why I fell in love with the Lord. I thought, who can change me like that? Yeah. Who can do that? Yeah. It's like the blinders come off and all of a sudden, that's you, it. what was I thinking? So after you really fell in love with Jesus, you were on fire for the Lord, you headed to Christ for the Nations Institute for Bible training and then on to Rama Bible College. And that must have been a glorious season in your life. I mean, everything just becoming alive, you know, the Lord just revealing so much to you. So what did he do 
in you during that time that set the course of your life? If we could just live at Christ for the Nations or Rama, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it? <laughs> but um, you can't. You know what the Lord did? He gave me such a heart for worship, which led me to a heart for loving people, which led me to a heart for loving all the nations, which led me to wanting to really give my life more to the Lord. Yeah. Just wanting to reach those people that they would show us videos of. And it was a heart transformation, but even to a deeper level, I guess. So a lot of us think about missionaries being sent to the developing world, you know, Africa, you know, some of the poor countries in Asia, but God called you to Italy. Yeah. So how did that happen? And, you know, what was that process like? I'm sure, you know, that was a head scratcher initially, but. <laughs> yeah. And especially the fashion capital. But anyway, no, he first called me to Rome because I was at Christ for the Nations. I was just sitting in class and uh, one of the teachers got up and they were talking about missions. And he said, we are thinking about taking for the first time a group to Italy. Would anybody be interested in going? And my spirit jumped. And before I knew it, my hand was up and I thought, what is my hand doing up? Because I went to Bible college, not thinking anything about doing anything for the Lord. I went because I wanted to know him more. I did not know. I remember going in and someone would ask me, are you going to be an evangelist? Are you going to be a pastor? Are you going to be, I said, nothing. I just came here and little did I know God had different plans. Yeah. Well, you know, he has a way of doing that, moving us right into position. I have realized over my life that God knows me better than I know myself. And if I will just say yes to that next step, he leads me to places that I never would have dreamed would be so fulfilling and extraordinary in my yes. life. Because it's where he meets us. So, you know, he took you to Christ for the nation and met you there and opened up a, quite an adventure for your life. You went on this initial short-term mission trip to Italy. Did God speak to you there? How did that turn from a short-term to long-term? I mean, you live there. You live there for years now. Well, I was there with 11 other kids. And I mean, some were older and some were younger. And while I was there, it was amazing. I could understand what people were saying. And that was scary. Because the only thing we learned is like, where's the bathroom and things like that. But people would be talking in Italian, I'd say, and I would understand what they were saying. And I was like, why do I, you know, and then also within the group, there was one that had a word, a word from the Lord that one of you will come back as a full-time missionary. And sure enough, that same thing happened. My spirit jumped, but I said, I'm not telling anybody. Because by this time, I was really shaking, like, what is going on? Had you taken any language before this? I mean, like any of the romance languages? Oh, Still maybe Spanish a little Spanish or... in high huh? school. Yeah. But I mean, I was understanding conversations about what people were saying. And I had never, other than where's the bathroom. It really was that gift of the Holy Spirit that it was interpret, kind of like what happened when all the people gathered in Jerusalem and they could hear what the disciples were saying. So you went back to Milan. Did you go by yourself? I mean, you were a single woman. Did you join a team or, I mean. No, no, I went to Rome first. Rome first. I was, okay. Yeah, I was single. I went to Rome 
actually the very first time I went was in the south of Italy. I went with another girl that was on that trip. We returned there. There was a lot of jealousy and things. And so we went back to the States. But then I returned again to Italy. The way that happened, I told my parents I had a call to Italy and they were like, yeah, yeah. And then when I went back there with Nina, they were a little bit more shocked. Uh And when I came back, I went to Rhema. You know, the Lord said, begin to knock that ask, seek, knock. So Uh I began to knock. I called David Wilkerson and they didn't need anybody. And I called Teen Challenge. I got the head of Teen Challenge in in the Dallas area that was Paul Ecker. And he is the one I said, I'd like to do something. I'd like to help in any way I could. And he said, well, this is a men's facility and you know, you can't. And I said, well, I'll do anything and you don't have to pay me. And he said, I'd like to meet you. And I said, okay. (laughs) So I did. And as we were talking, he just said, I have a very good friend in Rome. And he needs a worship leader and you would be perfect. And he doesn't even know if I can sing. I'm like, huh? He said, and you would just be perfect. And he said, do you have a resume? And I said, no. And I'm just looking at him like, what? He said, and he contacted Terry Hoggard, which is out of the Assemblies of God. Before I knew it, I was there and the Gulf War broke out. I just led worship a couple of times and God just opened the door. He said, it would be very hard for you to be here as a single and uh, there's no place for you to live. And, but God worked out a miraculous thing with uh, a family, Terry and Dina Dreyer, where right before I left, we were invited to a dinner. We went over to their house. They began to show us the house, began to show me the house. And they said, this is the room where the exchange, the Chinese exchange student is supposed to stay. But you know what? We haven't heard from her in months. If you come, you can stay right here with us. Bam, the door opened. And I mean, just door after door open. And so I was there, uh, you know, for three and a half years before I married, working in the international church and the Bible school. And it was quite amazing. Had you ever led worship before? I think I had led worship, but maybe on a very small scale, not in a big international church with 20 different nationalities. Wow. That was a big uh, step of faith. (laughs) It was, it was, but that's the way it is when, like you said, God just does amazing things. And before you know it, you're led into an amazing situation. So you met your husband there. Was he Italian? I mean, how did God orchestrate that? You know, he would come in for meetings Uh, We were in, I was in the mother church, the Rome church. Mm -hmm. He was in a daughter church, the Milan church. So he was there and the pastor one time for a meeting said, you see that girl, she preaches. You ought to have her for a meeting. So he did. He asked me to come hold four night revival. And I did. And he said that God moved on him. (laughs) We fell in love fell in love and that's making it short. (laughs) Yeah. Well, tell us a little more. I mean, you know, we love love stories. So (laughs) before I left there, that revival, one of his friends said, he's going to call you he's going to visit you. And, And so I called my dad and I said, dad, pray. Because anyway, he had called me and said, did you make it home? Okay. And there was something about his voice. One time he left a message on the recorder and I went all the way to the floor on my knees. It was just the Lord. 
And I knew it was the Lord, except I said I had told him because by this time he had come, he had visited me. He had told me he loved me. And I said, you what? That was on the first time we went out. He said, I love you. And I said, you don't even know me. He said, yeah, but I know God. And I thought, you know, what a line. But nevertheless, (laughs) nevertheless, he was right. But I told my parents and I told my pastor back in Dallas, I said, if y'all have any kind of a check, any kind of a red light, I am not going to do this. They didn't. And one time my dad called and he had, you know, we talked very often and I'd say, has God said anything to you? And he'd always say no. But this time he said, yes. And I said, what? And he said, uh, and I had just gotten off the phone to Ben. Mm -hmm. Ben was in Milan. I was in Rome. He said, God said, I'm going to use them. I'm going to bless them. And this is of me. And so when I was crying and Ben called back and he knew what I had said, if there's any kind of check, if there's any kind of, and he knew that I had just talked to my dad and I was crying and he said, what is it? And I said, it was dad. And he called and he said, what is it? And I said, he said that God said, this is of me and I will use them and I will bless them. And I was, so he started crying. We got married. Wow. So you were, I mean, you were kind of long distance from Rome to Milan. Yes. Um, And over how long of a period did this courtship happen? Four months. Oh, it was quick. It was very quick. So what I tell young people is I would have never done it except for the fact that my parents, nor I, nor my pastor, because I like those, you know, those checkpoints. They had no, or at least they didn't say they had any kind of a check in their heart about me marrying him. So you then moved from Rome to Milan where he was pastoring. Was he actually pastor of the church there? Actually, we tried to move to a place in Milan, but we ended up going to, back to Christ for the nations because, you know, that scripture that says you should take off a year. Oh, yeah. So he took off a year. We both, I took classes as well, but I was itinerating as well. But he was in the school full time and went a whole year. That was one of my things. I wanted him to go. I had prayed and I said, whoever I marry, if there if there was any way, Lord, that they could go to that deliverance class. It was a certain class I wanted someone to go to. Yeah. That I married. Well, you know, that is important to kind of take care of past hurts and pains in our life. My husband and I have both kind of really sought the Lord about that as well and uh, and had some ministry, you know, so that we could deal with the past. And it, it's allowed us to to walk together in unity in the future. So you went after Christ for the nation, you went back to Milan, been helping establish churches and discipling believers. So, you know, what did you see God doing? I mean, he said he was going to use the two of you together. So how did you see him actually doing that? We just saw a harvest of souls. We just, uh, we started in his sister's apartment and then it just continued to grow till we get to a hotel and then we had a church. And then two years later, a friend wanted us to start another church in Brescia And we started in a house. They all started in houses. And before you knew it, we had six churches. Back up a little bit. Tell us about the situation in Italy. Obviously, the Vatican is there. There's a lot of historical Christianity in Italy. 
But what's the situation there now? Is there a hunger for the Lord? Do you find them kind of cold toward God? What What's he doing there? Italy is a very religious country. The thing we had, and even now, it is really just the anointing on the worship, on the people that is are in the churches. I remember even from the beginning when we would have worship, we had Italians coming in the church, but we didn't have translation. So they would come in because they sensed the presence of God. When the service started, they couldn't understand anything. So we eventually just had such a burden that those young people, the kids that was raised, you know, in the church, they began to translate the services. The services were in English? English and Tagalog, because they were mostly Filipinos that would come. Even to this day, it's mostly Filipinos that are in the churches, because my husband is Filipino. Wow. So the younger people that learned Italian by living there, they started translating and that's kind of how it spread to the local population even. That's right. You know, the Lord works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? Yes, he does. So you and Ben were serving in Milan. A few years later, your daughter was born. And so how did you manage that being a mom? You were serving in ministry. You're far from family, at least your family. I guess Ben had some family close by, but that's, you know, kind of different having a child in a different nation, a different culture. And just having a child period, you know, yeah. your first child, you want your mom or somebody there with you. But the thing about the Filipino culture, there's such a giving, loving culture that everybody took Hannah to raise. Okay. I mean, everybody would hold her while I'm, I mean, I was, I had cesarean and the very next Sunday I was leading worship. So somebody was watching her and somebody was holding her and the Filipinos are that way. Very okay. serving. Yeah. Community around you. Right. Then things were going really well, but you started to see some changes in Ben that ultimately led you to some really tumultuous times in your life. What were the first signs that you saw that something was off? He would look at the computer at night. Of course, I thought he was studying. I'm a morning person. He's an evening person. Mm -hmm. So I just figured he was studying. But sometimes when I would come in, he would immediately close it. And I'd say, what are you doing? And he'd say, nothing. So I just, okay, I left it. But then as it went on, it would happen more than once. And I'd say, Ben, if you are doing anything, do you realize that we could lose the ministry? You could lose us, everything. I'm not doing anything. Okay. I just leave it. How long did this go on? I mean, eventually it, it spiraled into a crisis. Yes. I couldn't really tell you that. It had been going on a long time. We were married after four months mm -hmm. and we didn't, we weren't really together. I was in Rome. He was in Milan. Yes, he would come to visit. But as far as really spending a lot of time together, getting to know each other. So our times together, it was more like lust instead of love, even after we were married. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't sharing. And it was more like we were roommates. The more I saw that, the more distant we became. What brought this to a head? I mean, when did you realize what was really going on and what happened? How did that transpire? I mean, the Lord is faithful to call us out of sin. And if we don't turn privately, he 
tends to make it a little more public. What happened in your family there that brought everything to light? Well, Hannah had become a teenager. I was always telling her, Hannah, you need to get off that phone. You're always on the phone. It's not good for you. You're on the phone. And so she said, do you ever look at daddy's phone? Do you ever look at daddy's phone? I said, I'm not talking about daddy's phone. I'm talking about your phone. Let's not talk about daddy. And she just went on and on about daddy's phone because she had seen something. She finally told me, her and her cousin and then her cousin's brother told me that different things making me know that there was something going on. I called the pastor in Dallas, our pastor, and I said, you know, Hannah says this and and Randall heard this. And he said, well, unless you have evidence. So that very night, I got all of three of his phones. And it was a terrible scene, the way I got them, the way I took them, his response, which it was just open, blown strife mm. and an argument. And I'm sure it had a very ill effect upon Hannah because she realized she was the one that uncovered it, but it was God's love yeah. that was trying to get to the bottom of everything. So you actually uncovered a, an affair. Is that right? Yes. Well, once I went through the phones, I saw the numbers and the lady. And so I actually called that number and I didn't know somebody was going to answer it, but it was a lady and I didn't know what to say. So I just said, is Arlene there? And she hung up because of course she was thinking it was going to be Ben. And it wasn't. I'm sure that was it. So you discovered this. And obviously, <laughs> at that point, you're in a crisis. Your family's in a crisis. You're ahead of a ministry, really. What do you do in that kind of situation? You are in the middle of personal crisis, family crisis, and ministry crisis. Well, I called my pastor again. And he said, you should go to him. You should confront him. And if he will not confess, then you bring him before others. Mm -hmm. You know, that scripture. And so I did, and he denied it. The Lord just gave me the wisdom to get him before the board, not knowing what was going to happen. Church or the board of the mission the, or what? No, the board of the church. Okay. So they came and I said, well, and I began to tell them the story. And I said, but he denies it. He says there's nothing to it. But the fact is, I called the lady. And the minute I said that, he stood up. And he began to say, it's all my fault. And, and he began to take all the guilt. I, I failed you. I failed because he didn't know that the lady didn't say anything. Oh. But just for the fact that I said, I called the lady. Where do you go from there? I mean, now you've got this admission of an affair. I mean, that can be the end of marriage. That can be the end of everything. Yeah. And you, here you are in, in Italy. What happened? I mean, Obviously, you're back now in Italy. You're still married. Right. right. Well, there's a lot that transpired in the middle. I mean, where, and how did you get from that crisis point to now? Well, you're talking about eight years. Yeah, I'm so sure there's a lot going on eight years. So yeah. I called the head of world missions and they said, is he willing to admit it? And I said, I believe he is. And he said, yes, he admitted it. So in three days, they took him out. That was uh, September 14th of 14. They took him out of Italy. They flew him back to the States so he could have counseling, so he could get help. And they were going to take the whole family. Of course, Hannah was in school. 
and we had these churches. So they didn't really mention about the whole family, but they eventually they did. But what he proposed to me was, do you want to stay there and take care of the churches, which was crazy. I should have never said yes. Mm -hmm. But by this time, my mind wasn't working. My mind was not circuiting probably. Oh, it was short circuiting. I was like, how could you have done this? Serve communion and, and been living like this. It was just too much for me, but I did. I said, yes. And so I began to pastor the biggest church and look over the five other churches. I mean, never again, but of course the enemy was trying, if he can't get you in sin, he'll just get you to wear out and wear down and yeah, lose it. So Ben is gone. You're leading the ministry. You're dealing with your sense of betrayal and your daughter's sense of guilt and betrayal. Did you have anyone to turn to? Nobody really knew everything. They knew he had betrayed because the head of world missions, uh, they told us to send a letter to all the churches, Mm -hmm. his letter of confession. And it was known what had happened, but they did not know what I was going through. You know, as pastors, we tend to not be friends with our members. Mm. So it was like I did not have friends that were physically here. I could call people, and I did, but it just is not enough. Things really went from bad to worse for yes. you. Yes, and for Hannah. Yeah, and, and what, what happened there? Hannah saw that I was shutting down. She saw that I was getting sick, even though I didn't really notice it. I mean, I was up like two, three in the morning trying to clean the house because everything else was just on me. And so I wasn't getting enough rest. And I was trying to do all this ministry and trying to cope with all the thoughts. Anyway, she saw that I wasn't hitting on all cylinders Mm -hmm. and she just wanted to run away. And she did. And that took me to another level of just to a complete breakdown of exhaustion, emotionally, mentally. I mean, she was gone three to four days and I didn't know if she was alive. I didn't know where she was, who she was with, not knowing that she had just run to family, his family, and nobody let me know. Yeah. They didn't tell you where she was. No, which is another thing that tried to put bitterness, more bitterness in me, you know, and always have something against his family. I'm telling you, this was layered, just layered in me. The enemy knew he was orchestrating something, trying to take me out, but he lost. How did you find her? And you eventually went back to the States, right? I mean, yes. Church of God released Ben to come here. I'm I'm say here because I'm in Milan. In fact, this is very surreal to be talking about this here in Milan. But anyway, released him to come here and to get Hannah because Hannah wouldn't come with me. She wouldn't get near me. So it had to be him to come here to tell her, no, we're going to go to the States. I'm going to take you and everything's going to be okay. Now, she did not want to leave, and I don't think she knew that she was going to be taken to the States, but he was just telling her everything's going to be okay. And then when she found out she was going to have to leave and that I was going to go with them, well, they stayed separate from me the whole trip, except for when we were in the hotel. And then it was just a nightmare. It really was. And when you got back to the States, you were at this point just 
totally exhausted mentally, physically, and you ended up in a hospital. I mean, did you have a physical breakdown? How did you get into a hospital? It was mental and emotional, hearing things and seeing things and because of lack of rest Mm -hmm. and just everything I had gone through, I was put in a hospital and, you know, I was put in several hospitals and I don't think they knew how to diagnose me because I was diagnosed with just about everything you can imagine. I have since realized that a lot of times when I was in the hospital, I was praying in the spirit, I was singing. That'll throw anybody off that's an unbeliever. Oh, they didn't know what you were doing. No, you know, I can understand. And and I do understand those were unbelievers. I mean, I was mistreated at a couple of those hospitals and but I don't hold anything against them because they, in all probability, they were unbelievers and those places are taxing enough. And I can't imagine what they go through just working with people like that all the time. In fact, while I was there, you know, after getting rest, eventually I got rest. It was a series, which is just too long to go into, you know, they wouldn't feed you unless you took the medicine. They would only give you a little water per day, which would send me into a UTI because I would become dehydrated. Then they would rush me to another hospital. I mean, it was, you talk about the Psalm you picked, God rescued me. I mean, you're in this hospital. You've just been swept up in a horrific scenario not of your choosing, not of your doing, what were you thinking or what was God saying to you during all of this time? I mean, there must've been a really deep work he was doing in you that you had to cooperate with. I just kept thinking, the thought just kept coming to me. They said we were coming in for family restoration. What is going on? Mm. Why am I here? Why? This has nothing to do you know, because, you know, the medicine would make me worse. I would even yell it out because I knew some people were listening. And I'd said, they said it was for family restoration. And the only way I got out of those hospitals was I began to fast because I didn't want to take the medicine. The medicine was making me worse. You know, if you don't, you didn't have to take it if you didn't eat. And I knew I was in a place of danger. I know that when we're, there's danger, you fast. Mm-hmm. And so I did. The Lord led me on a fast and the people did not like that. I would get out of the hospital. So were you able to check yourself out of the hospital or uh, how did you eventually leave? No, they eventually just released me to Ben because he would come and visit me. How long were you in the various hospitals? A period of uh, like three months. So when you got out... There's still a lot of hurt and pain there. Yes. Uh, How did that restoration happen? A lot of getting before the Lord and just asking him point blank, what happened, Lord? I was just so close to you. And, but through counseling, finding out about Ben's past, you know, Ben is a wonderful man of God. Mm. He really is. But something happened to him in his childhood where he was, molested several, several times by one person in particular, but there were other times of other people knowing this, you know, it's as happy as the man that has understanding. 
Yeah. And I begin to understand, ah, that's where the enemy bruised him, even at an early age. That's why he began to look at things. That's what led him down the path that he went on. That's how he got trapped. For all I know, he was trapped our whole married life. I don't know all that for a fact, but I would think so. So God really gave you spiritual eyes to see what was going on there that allowed you to get beyond the hurt of your heart. Yes. And that really is, you know, to give you God's love for him. I mean, I was right. just in first Corinthians 13 today, you know, about love. And, and one of the things that, you know, a little further down in, in first Corinthians 13, it says, we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we'll see everything perfectly clear. I'm sure you probably don't have full understanding even now of what this was all about, but God started giving you some of the puzzling reflections. <laughs> yes. Imperfect, maybe understanding of the deep things he was trying to do in, in you and in Ben and Hannah, she was probably confused and hurt by all of this as well. I mean, what were some of those truths or principles that your family had to walk in or embrace to receive restoration? Well, I think one of the things that we really guard against right now uh, and will always is strife, mm. strife in the home, because, you know, James 3.16 says where strife and envy is, there's confusion and every evil work. So the night that everything blew was mm -hmm. the night that the enemy really came in. And even Hannah began to look at things that she would never have looked at. And I think it's because she had seen her daddy looking at things. You know, we're all connected. And like I said, I think um, giving this testimony, which I did a few years ago, and Hannah and Ben both have seen it. And I did my best to protect both of them. Yeah. And they were both pleased with the way it was handled. And I think it gave light to her mm -hmm. to let her know that, you know, God used her as an instrument because if Ben had not have been stopped, we could have still been here all these years and Ben would have missed heaven. He would have gone to hell because as I read my Bible, adulterers end up in hell. And so thank God for his mercy. Yeah. You know, and even me, you know, the Bible says uh, you were talking about first Corinthians pays no attention to a suffered wrong while I was paying attention. All right. I was counting them up. Mm. And I mean, I was hot. I was angry. I was bitter. I was resentful. And to this day, God is still doing a releasing you know, being back here in Milan, it's it's triggered a lot of things than you can imagine. And I just have to take control of my mind, cast down imaginations. I have to slap down the wrong thoughts. I have to com continue to believe the best about him. And he has been free for years now. Yeah. But, you know, when you return to the scene of the crime, the enemy will try again because he never lets up. Yeah. But I believe God is greater and he's brought us here for such a time as this to refine us and to make us as gold. You is very remarkable, Diane. And it's what God calls us to do, to release hurt, to forgive, to not hang on to bitterness. But it's so difficult to do when we're in the midst 
of the pain. And really, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It is. <laughs> it's it making is. the decision and releasing it to God. My listeners who listen to several podcasts know that I am just inspired in life by the story of Corey Ten Boone, mm. who suffered so much at the hands of you know, the Nazis in a, in a concentration camp and had to make decisions when she faced even the same guards, you know, one of the same guards that was abusing her and her sister to forgive right in the spot when she was in front of their face. And she didn't know how she would do it, but she made that decision to allow the Holy Spirit to work through her and then forgiveness flowed. That's the miraculous work of God in our lives. I can't explain it. It's just been an amazing grace that has been upon me to just forgive and can, and to continue to forgive and for him to forgive me, you know, because I was just as much as in the wrong. Mm. I paid attention to the suffered wrong. I, I counted it, you know, and you're not supposed to love doesn't sin is sin. That's it. We as humans categorize sin, you know, this is a sin that's bigger and you should have to pay more consequences. And this is a sin that we can, you know, kind of sweep under the rug, but not according to God. That's right. He wants us purified of all sin, the internal sin and the sin that we can see. Yes. And Jody, you know, I don't know who wrote the vows to getting married, but they did say for better, for worse. Mm. And they did say sickness and in health, or at least when I got married Mm -hmm. and, you know, he was sick because he was bound by pornography and God has given me the grace. And then I got sick and he's given him the grace to take care of me at times. So I can just see how God is writing this story and he never makes a mistake. He is a good God and he's going to make this story beautiful. I do want to just point out and Diane, you can comment on this more if you want, but Ben was repentant. There are situations where the offender is not repentant. That's right. And um, so there's no place for someone staying in an abusive relationship. Yes, that's exactly right. So God works amazingly when both parties are repentant. Yes. (laughs) yes. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, we don't want there to be any condemnation for someone who's been in an abusive relationship or a relationship where there was unrepentance, long-term unrepentance. I mean, we can pray for those who are in those situations and are not willing to repent, pray that God will soften their heart toward him. But so I'm sure you've had time to reflect. What are some of the uh, biblical and even practical truths that you could share with other women to help them in their journey? It doesn't necessarily have to be just women who've experienced what you have, but just, you know, all of us are going to face challenges in our walk with the Lord. What are some of those truths that we can all apply to any challenge we face? Keep strife out of your home. Uh, The minute we start to argue, I'll say, I'm done. I will not argue because I know that is a door that the enemy can come in and just wreak havoc. And also, you know, just to continue to believe the best and continue to pray and to to speak over your husband. He's a good man. He's faithful. He's kind. And, and you say, well, you know, he's not. But faith calls those things which be not as though they were. Mm. So we continue to speak positive towards our children, towards our 
towards our loved ones because we know God is doing a work and he will finish the good work he's begun in them. Uh, I think that's a big one. And not to, you know, I think I was in rebellion that maybe even, you know, stemmed from a childhood, even coming back to him. You know, there's times we as wives can even punish our husbands by not kissing them or whatever, you know, because we're feeling something hurt towards them. And and that's stubbornness, being stubborn. And so, you know, that's listed right there with rebellion, which is witchcraft. Mm. And this is something that just came to me because of one of the sisters in our prayer group on Tuesdays that shared something. And so the Lord is changing me even more. So I know there's going to be a part two to this. (laughs) (laughs) And three and four, it's just going to go on and on till I see Jesus. But I'm glad because, you know, we sing songs about purify my heart and refiner's fire. We see songs like that. But when it starts happening, we're like, "Uh, that's that's enough. And, you know, we stop. Well, Diane, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know it's not an easy one to share, but God has really restored and brought you joy and returned, you know, restored you to the ministry. I mean, not, yes, it doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes God takes us to a different place, but God restored you to the place that you were before as a family and even better because now those hurts, those covered wounds, they're gone. The Lord's yes. covered them to heal them. All that pain. It's like, you know, I mean, we hear, we hear these analogies, you know, well, you got to uncover, you know, the bruise and yeah, or that the, the cut and you have to scrape out all the infection and it's painful, but that's the only way it can heal. It's true spiritually as well. So those emotional and spiritual wounds, God uncovered them, roughed them up, got the infection out to heal them. So now your ministry really can be pure and joyful and move forward in a way that it couldn't have before. Yes. Thank you. There's a sweetness in our marriage. Now we serve each other. We go on dates. We didn't really date those four months. Now we're just now dating. So it's like we've, we've been married for 27 years, but the last two have been the happily ever after (laughs) the happily married, you know, the, the marriage that I've seen in other people. Now we've still go through rocky times, but but it's, there's a sweetness there. There's a, a friendship there that wasn't, it was more like just roommates, but yeah. now, and I'm sure that's how your marriage is. And anyway, it's, it's just, it's wonderful now. Yeah. So I, I thank God for that. Diane, I always like to ask my guests as we close, what woman of the Bible has inspired or encouraged or taught you something during your journey? It's likely more than one. Obviously, you're a a woman of the word. You know, who's been most significant to you now, right now in your life? I guess, you know, worship has taken on a whole deeper meaning to me. And the woman that was forgiven much Mm. and she loved much because she was forgiven much. Yeah. And that's, that's who I see myself to be. I've been forgiven a lot. Mm. And because of that, my worship has deepened. Yeah. Sometimes when we walk with the Lord a long time, we forget how much we've been forgiven because it's so long ago. It's so distant. Thankfully, praise God that we forget how much we have, have been forgiven. And when we're reminded of that, I know those, there are times when I'm reminded of my sin, my failings, and it comes again, washing new, like you said, 
the gratitude, the thankfulness of all of that. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, and we know that all things God works together for good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There are times in Diane's story that things looked helpless, but as you've heard, God used even those times to shape Diane, Ben, and even Hannah more into the image of Christ Jesus. It's often in the crucibles of life that we're purified. Those times when we're so desperate that every word of God is life to us and we're willing to be changed. When we yield to God, he brings us through the challenges to a brighter day. He restores the sparkle to our eyes that speaks of his goodness. Diane, would you take a moment and pray for everyone who listens to your amazing God story? Father, I just thank you for every person that will ever listen to this. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that something that was said today will become a rhema to them. I pray in the name of Jesus that you'll give them grace to release hurts, release people, Lord, so that they can go free as well. Lord, just like you've done for me, Lord, you've been so good to me, Lord. I am ever so grateful. And I pray, Lord God, that the homes that are represented on this call, Lord, would be free from strife free from envy, free from jealousy and contention, Lord God. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will do a work in the lives of families that listen to this message, Lord, even today, and that you will do a healing work and a restoration work, Lord, just like you've done in our family, Lord, and we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in. In our show notes at hergodstory.org, you'll find links to scriptures and other helpful information. There you can also find a link to download a free six-month devotional on women of the Bible. We'd love to pray with you on our 24-7 prayer and text line. Give us a call anytime at 855-459-CARE, or you can email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and review it on Apple Podcast or whatever streaming service you use. We'd love for you to share this story with friends who might enjoy it and be sure to like or follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And now, dear friends, I leave you with the blessing from Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.